0: Let's take the Word of God together tonight, if you would please, and turn to the New Testament book of Luke. Once again, Luke chapter 19. And this morning, we looked at the first 10 verses. We'll pick up this evening where we left off this morning. I remind you that Christ is headed towards Jerusalem, where He will be betrayed and crucified, and we know risen again. These are those steps and this is the direction in which he's headed before we meet him there on the cross. Christ coming through Jericho, meeting Zacchaeus or Zacchaeus. And now we find him quickly after this conversion of this publican, of this sinful man. I'm always encouraged when I read about the conversion of a of a sinful man, because that reminds me of what I once was and And uh, what I am still except for the grace of God. And we rejoice this morning to look at that account of Zacchaeus' conversion. This evening we pick up in verse number 11. Luke chapter 19, verse number 11. And as they heard these things, he added. Now just think for a moment. What things have they heard? They heard about the conversion of... Of this man they heard about how salvation had visited Zacchaeus's house and how that the Son of Man had come to seek and to save that which was lost. And as they heard these things, he added and spake a parable for a specific reason. Because he was nigh to Jerusalem. And because they thought that the kingdom of God should immediately appear before we read any more you understand I think from this verse what's about to follow Christ adds a parable now because after his apostles the disciples have seen all that Christ has done and is doing their growing anticipation expects that Jesus is going to establish his kingdom now immediately and so Christ gives this parable to tell them the truth of what's about to happen. Now, there's something extremely relevant for us in this parable this evening, and I want you to hear the words, and by God's help and by His Spirit, we hope to understand them. He said, therefore, in verse 12, a certain nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and to return. And he called his ten servants and delivered them ten pounds and said unto them, Occupy till I come. But his citizens hated him and sent a message after him, saying, We will not have this man to reign over us. And it came to pass that when he was returned, having received the kingdom, then he commanded these servants to be called unto him to whom he had given the money, that he might know how much every man had gained by trading. Then came the first, saying, Lord, thy pound hath gained ten pounds. And he said unto him, Well, thou good servant, because thou hast been faithful in a very little, have, have thou authority over ten cities. And the second came, saying, Lord, Thy pound hath gained five pounds. And he said likewise to him, Be thou also over five cities. And another came, saying, Lord, behold, here is thy pound, which I have kept laid up in a napkin, for I feared thee, because thou art an austere man. Thou takest up that thou layest not down, and reapest that thou didst not sow. And he saith unto him, Out of thine own mouth will I judge thee, thou wicked servant. Thou knewest that I was an austere man, taking up that I laid not down, and reaping that I did not sow. Wherefore then gavest not thou my money into the bank, that at my coming I might have required mine own with usury? And he said unto them that stood by, Take from him the pound, and give it to him that hath ten pounds." And they said unto him, Lord, he hath ten pounds. For I say unto you that unto every one which hath shall be given. And from him that hath not, even that he hath shall be taken away from him. But those mine enemies, which would not that I should reign over them. Bring hither and slay them before me. Let's pray. Father. We ask now as we open thy word to speak to our hearts. Give us a word in season that may be applied to every listener. May it be heard, understood, and received that it might bring forth fruit. We might leave this place challenged and changed to better serve thee. Guide us now through thy word. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. The parable is given because Jesus knows he's going to die. And he also knows that his servants are thinking something else. His disciples have something else in mind. So this parable is really given, listen, to the followers of Jesus Christ. And it is given in light not just of his death... But this parable is given of Christ's ascension into heaven in that period of time between his ascension and his second coming. This parable really speaks to us today about what we should be doing whilst we wait for his return. A couple of observations in the beginning of this parable, a certain nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and to return. He's talking about himself. He's about to die, go into a far country, ascend into heaven, and receive for himself a kingdom, a spiritual kingdom that hasn't quite yet been totally given to him. We pray, Lord, thy kingdom come. Because we understand that his kingdom is a spiritual one that is being built one soul at a time. And it hasn't fully come yet, but it will. And so we pray for his kingdom to come. And when the last soul is won to Christ, he will return. His kingdom will have been come. It would have been fulfilled. It's interesting. They tell me that in this part of the land in that day that there was a tradition that certain noblemen would go to Rome. This was when Rome had such authority over all, much of the world. They'd go to Rome to receive the deeds of a kingdom or a nation, because it would have been awarded to them by the the rulers, the uh, the leaders of Rome. And they say especially that there was a man named Archelaus in this part of the world who had done that, who had actually turned his back on the Jewish people. The Jewish people had protested about him going to get this special kingdom and he would, have been, he would have received such a palace in this area of Jericho where they were. So a very applicable thought about a king going into a far country receiving a kingdom and perhaps they were even near to that location and Christ was speaking with terms that they understood of going to a far country to receive a kingdom and then come back but of course Christ was speaking about himself. I've underlined in my Bible in verse number 12 and to return Would you look this way for a moment? Do not forget that Jesus is going to return. He's gone now. But he isn't idly sleeping somewhere. He's interceding for you and for me right now. He's laboring and working even at this moment as he is waiting for the Father to say, Son, go get your bride. But he will return. Jesus tells us in this parable, he called his 10 servants and delivered unto them 10 pounds, one pound each. By the way, this reference of money was was not very much. We know that because later on in the parable, uh, the master says, thou hast been faithful in very little. And some people have tried to say, well, these 10 servants represent 10 preachers. I don't believe so at all. I believe these represent of the family of God, every Christian. So tonight, if you've been born again, this is talking about you. You're one of these servants. And the good master, the noble man, has given you your own pound. He's given you your own little bit. And what you do with it is between you and Almighty God. But let me tell you tonight that what you do or do not do With the salvation that he's given you, with the life that he's given you, you will be held accountable for. That's what this is about. This is about every one of us. If you have been saved by the grace of God, understanding that you have been, you have been given by Jesus himself an allotment of his grace. You've been given a portion of something that you're to use for the glory of God. That's what this is about. He divided unto them, delivered to them 10 pounds. And then he gives one word of instruction. Now listen carefully. Occupy till I come. Occupy. Literally, that means employ in business or in trading. And we know that's exactly what he meant because we read later on in verse number 15 that when he was returned, having received the kingdom, he commanded these servants to be called unto him to whom he had given the money that he might know how much every man had gained by trading. Do you see that? What does God want from you? Maybe that's what you're thinking tonight. What does he want from me? I cannot help but think about when Jesus went to the garden that night that he was betrayed. Just moments before he was to be betrayed. He went with Peter, James, and John. And he knelt in the garden. Do you remember? And he wept. And the Bible says he sweat like great drops of blood came out of his face. And as he knelt in the garden wrestling with the reality of his own death. In just a little while, the scriptures say that his disciples fell asleep. And he had awakened them. They said, what? Could you not watch with me for one hour? And I believe that many of his children today are sleeping. We've fallen asleep. We've grown very comfortable. We've forgotten that we've been given something with which to labor. We were not saved simply to sit and wait. But we were given a measure of His grace. We were given this gift of salvation to do something with it, not to sleep on it. The Bible tells us something else in our text. And back in verse number 14, after the command was given, he called all his disciples together. He gave them each one pound, occupied till I come. Do business, trade it, use it, do something with it because I want you to get something. I want you to grow it, to multiply it. But the Bible gives us a little, another little bit of understanding in verse 14. But his citizens hated him. His servants loved him. But his citizens hated him. It's interesting, this world hates Jesus Christ, doesn't it? And they don't even realize that they are citizens of his land. They don't even realize that they are the creation of his hand. They don't even understand that they are breathing his air, living on his land, his earth, eating his food. And they hate him. Now, I think the Lord gives us this little insert, this excerpt, you can say, gives us this little bit because he wants us to know that although we have been charged to do something with the salvation that he's given us, we must also understand that the people amongst whom we labor do not like him. They hate him. They hate Jesus Christ. And they sent a message after him. After he left to go into the far country to get his kingdom. They sent a message just like the Jews had done to Archelaus. They sent a message after him saying, we will not have this man to reign over us. He will not be my king. Do you remember what the Jews cried out when Pontius Pilate had put Jesus Christ on trial? And and the Lord Jesus said, behold, pardon me, Pilate said, behold your king. They said he's not our king. The world today hates the idea of bowing the knee to Jesus Christ. We will not have this man to reign over us. And it came to pass in verse 15. I want you to imagine what has just happened. From verse 14 to verse 15, we have fast forwarded all through the pages of time. In fact, we've even fast forwarded past today. Verse 15 is giving us the account of Christ's return. So when Jesus speaks to his disciples in his own mind, he's already going past you and I. He's going past you tonight. He sees you sitting in this tent. And in his mind's eye, he's going past this event today. And he's going all the way up until the day that Jesus returns and brings all of his people together. A day of reckoning, we call it. And it came to pass that when he was returned, having received the kingdom, Then he commanded these servants to be called unto him to whom he had given the money that he might know how much every man had gained by trading. Would you look this way for just a moment, please, Christian? Listen, listen, please, like you've never listened before. Jesus Christ expects you to gain something, someone. He expects you to take the grace he's given you and to multiply it to gain, not to spend. We think we've been given this precious gift of salvation to use it on ourselves. We think that God's given us grace and peace and joy and contentment. He's given us all these wonderful things and even his presence so that we can feel good. And we enjoy spending time in his presence and we love. I hope you spend time in his presence and I hope you love it. But some people think all of that is simply just for me. It's as if you've taken the gift he's given you and you've used it on yourself. But can I just tell you that when he comes back, it will be a day of reckoning. It'll be a day of examination. It'll be a day of revealing of what you have done and what you are doing with the salvation He's given you. So many are wasting their time day after day. I think, I think often when I come to this portion of Scripture, about that day of judgment for the child of God it will not be the same as it is for the unbeliever I believe we get a a glimpse of the day of judgment for the unbeliever found in Revelation chapter 20 The, the day of judgment the day of reckoning for the unbeliever is a different it is the most fearful day The Bible says in verse number 11 of Revelation 20, I saw a great white throne and him that sat on it from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away and there was found no place for them. I don't quite understand what that means, but I do think it might even mean something like this, that on that terrible day of judgment, on that last day of reckoning, that the lost of this world, the dead in this world will do their best to hide. But on that day, God will... Push aside the heavens and the earth so that there will be no place to hide. And I saw the dead. That's talking about the spiritually dead. I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. And the books were opened and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. I remind you this evening, every single sin you've ever been committed has been recorded in heaven. Every lie, every lustful thought, every, every deceitful action, everything you've ever done, every hurtful word you've ever said has been recorded in the pages of heaven. And on the day of judgment, the books that contain all of those sins will be opened so that you will be without excuse, so that every mouth will be stopped. You can't argue your way out of this one. And the sea gave up their dead, which were in it. And death and hell delivered up up the dead which were in them. And they were judged every man according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. That's the judgment of the lost. I'm glad that the judgment for the believer is not like that. Because if you remember Christ Jesus has already been judged for us. We sometimes sing, Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. So even if we were brought before the great white throne of judgment on that day and the books were opened before us and before God, the books would contain nothing but blood-covered pages, blood-stained pages, because the blood of Jesus has blotted out all of our iniquities. That's the difference between a child of the living God, one who's been born again, and someone who's been lost. Our judgment is different. We find it in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. We will not be judged, not, not like they. And we will not be judged because of our sins, because our sins have been judged in Christ. And it would be unfair to judge the sins again, the sins that Christ had already paid for. But our judgment is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. The apostle Paul says for other foundation in verse number 11. Can no man lay than that is laid which is Jesus Christ. Now if any man build upon this foundation. He's talking about believers building upon the foundation of Christ. If any man build on this foundation gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble. Every man's work shall be made manifest for the day shall declare it because it shall be revealed by fire. And the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. Look here this evening. Do you know, child of God, everything you've ever done since the day of your conversion is going to be judged by fire. Every time you came to a meeting, judged by fire. Every time you you handed out a gospel track or witnessed to somebody, judged by fire. Every sermon you preached, every lesson you taught, everything you've done in the name of Almighty God will be judged by fire because those are the things that are being built upon the foundation of Christ. Everything we do, building upon the foundation of Christ, everything we do, laboring for his namesake, will be tried by fire. And the scriptures say, in verse number 14, if any man's work abide, which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. Now, why is he, what is he looking for? He's trying to see what's, he's trying it, so that it might be revealed what sort of work it was. What was your motive for standing in that burger van every single Friday? What was your motive for playing the piano on the Lord's Day? For standing on a box in the city center and proclaiming Christ? For bringing your friends to a gospel meeting? What was your motive? What sort of work was it? The Bible says that that work, if any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss. Verse 14, if any man's work abide which he has built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. Now, I love this, because in verse 14 and verse 15 of 1 Corinthians 3, we find something that is consistent with what Jesus says in Luke 19, and that is the day of reckoning for a child of God will be a day of rewarding as well. Do you know that, Christian? Now, I know we don't like to talk about that. It makes some people uncomfortable, but it is a part of God's word. That as we labor for the Savior, He tells His children that there will be a reward for us. Now we don't do it to get a reward. We do it because we love Him. We do it because He's worthy. But there is a reward. And Jesus tells us back in our text in Luke chapter 19 that He calls everyone together to see how much every man had gained by trading. Now let me stop for just an evening for just a moment this evening. Now look this way. Look, I wonder right now if today were the day when the last trumpet was sound and the Lord Jesus returned and he gathered us all together. I wonder how much have you gained right now with what you've been given? How much have you gained? What do you say? What does that mean? What does it even mean? He's given me a talent. He's given me a pound and he's saying, take it. What, What has he given us? He's given us life, eternal life, salvation. He's given us his grace, his joy, and his peace. And we're meant to take that gift of life and multiply that gift of life and gain more. What have you gained for the glory of God? Have you gained anything? Think about your Christian life. What have you accomplished for the glory of God? What have you done for the glory of God? And and Christ expects gain. Then came the first. Saying, Lord. Thy pound hath gained ten pounds. Now listen to the way he talks. Thy pound. This is humility. Humility. Meaning he understood that all that he ever had was his. The pound that he had had from the beginning was never his to begin with. It was all the Lord's. So if he gained anything from it, it wasn't because he was great. It wasn't because of what he had done. It was because it was the Lord's pound that he had been entrusted with. And he felt such responsibility that if his master gave him the responsibility of this money, of this life, then he was going to do something with it. Because he also believed that if his master gave it to him, then there was something that could be done with it. If his master gave him life and then gave him a commandment to to trade, to do something with it, then it must mean that he could. Would you stop, please stop talking down about yourself. Would you stop talking about what you cannot do? Would you stop making excuses and saying, I can't do it. I don't have any gifts. I don't have any talents. But if he saved you, you have all you need. The spirit of God lives inside of you. Stop looking at somebody can, who can tinkle the old ivory, uh, tickle the old ivory there like, and say, I wish I could play the piano like that. Or stop looking, stop looking at a, a Sunday school teacher and say, I wish I could speak to children like that. Stop looking at somebody who's very zealous who goes into the streets and can talk to anybody anywhere and say, I wish I had that much zeal. Would well, you stop looking at everybody else and begin to recognize that God has given you what he wanted you to have. You need to take what he's given you and use it for his glory. All of us. There's no excuse because it's not your pound, it's his. It's not your life, it's his. It's his. He gave it to you, and when he gave it to you, within within that pound lies everything necessary to make a gain, to make a gain. Lord, thy pound hath gained 10 pounds. Listen to his response. Well, or well done, thou good servant. And because thou hast been faithful in a very little. Now, look here. Some people say, Oh, I don't have anything. I have very little gifts, very little talents, and very little abilities. I have very little. Look, he had very little. And with very little, he made ten times what he'd been given. And because thou hast been faithful in a very little, thou hast, have thou authority over ten cities. I don't quite understand this, I'll confess. Don't understand what it means. I don't understand the ins and outs of it. But I do know there's a reward for those who will be faithful in what Jesus has given them. There is a reward. And I don't know about you, but when I stand before the Savior one day, I'm not interested necessarily in getting a reward, but I am interested in bringing something to the King of kings and Lord of lords who's worthy. Aren't you? My children when they're when they're in the right frame of mind and and when you catch them at the right moment and you give them some job to do, they're very proud. They work hard about what they do and they want me to see that they've done a very, very good job because they understand that if they have done the best, there might be some sort of a reward. Now, sometimes they do it for the reward, but sometimes the smile on a father or a mother's face is reward enough. Sometimes the words, well done, Micah. Well done, Hadley. Sometimes that's enough. The next king. Saying, Lord, thy pound, there it is again, not mine, but thy pound hath gave five pounds. There's something wrong with us when we say, I don't have anything. You're right, you don't. But he does and he's given it to you. I I don't know what to do, I don't have any gifts or talents. You're right, but he does and he's already given it to you and you need to do something with it. Thy pound hath gained five pounds. And he said, likewise to him. Well done. Thou hast been faithful in very little. Have thou authority over five. Be thou also over five cities. Now I want you to notice verse 20 and 21. Because here here lies, I believe, a great many who call themselves Christians. And another came and saying, Lord, behold. Here is thy pound. Which I have kept laid up in a napkin. For I feared thee. Because thou art an austere man, thou takest that, that thou layest not down, and reapest that thou didst not sow. Now here, here we find in this one servant a great many who call themselves Christians today. And it's his turn to come before the throne of, of, of the great nobleman, to come before the presence of the one who gave him that pound and gave him that life. And he says, hey, look here, here's your pound. Behold, look, here's thy pound, which I have kept laid up in a napkin. And then he gives an excuse why. Here's your pound. I put it, look, I kept it safe. Put it in a napkin. Put it up top somewhere. Here it is. Look, there it is. Just the same as it was the first day you gave it to me. I'm afraid that will be the testimony of many people who call themselves Christians. Here it is, Lord. I'm the same as I was the first day you gave me salvation. No different. Here it is. I put it in a napkin. I kept it in a napkin. I've hidden it in a napkin. Some of you have hidden what God has given you in a napkin. You put it on a shelf somewhere. You're doing nothing. Why? Because I was afraid of you. Because thou art an austere, a hard man. Thou takest up that thou layest not down and reapest that thou didst not sow. This sounds like a lot of people today. They think they know God and they don't know God. In fact, they misrepresent God. God's a hard man. And because you're so hard and because you're so fearful, I thought the best thing to do, instead of messing it all up, I thought the best thing to do was, because if I went out and told somebody about Jesus, I may get it wrong. So you know what I thought? I better just put it here in the napkin, keep it nice, safe, and sound, and there it is, there it is for you. Just the same way it was when you gave it to me. I had an American football coach that used to tell us, uh, sometimes when I... When young men were first coming onto the team and stepping up to playing varsity level American football, that's the highest level in high school uh, football. And the, and the boys seem to get bigger and heavier and hit harder and, and the contact becomes more painful. And, and therefore some of these young fellows coming up, uh, were very frightened when they got on the field and had eyes like deer in a headlight and, and uh, they are they were very timid in their movements. They were afraid they'd make the wrong move or make the wrong mistake. And the coach used to say, I would rather you make a mistake going 100 miles an hour than to make a mistake being timid and just watching, afraid that you're going to make a mistake. No, I'm not likening God to a football, American football coach, but I do believe there's something to that. How many of us hold back because we're afraid? Afraid we might say the wrong thing. Afraid we might not quite get it right. Afraid we're not able. Afraid that God's going to be upset at us because we made just the slightest wrong move. The interesting thing was he did not know his Lord. In fact, he proved to himself that he really never was one of the servants of the king. Because a servant of the nobleman would actually serve the nobleman and there are many people who line up in a queue when it comes time to receive something from the nobleman there are many people who are very eager to get something from Jesus to get something from God and they get in the queue with a long line of Jesus' disciples and they say yes i'm a follower of Jesus too because they think they're going to get something from him but they're not a servant they're not a follower this week we met in, the, in these schools in the, in the Netherlands and we'd go into a class and we'd say now children, young people teenagers, how many of you would call yourselves Christians? Every single one of them would raise their hands. Then i said, say do you even know what it is to be a Christian? Because the next question I would say "Well, how many of you have been born again? Maybe one would raise their hand in a class of 25 or 30. Everyone would raise their hand and say they're Christian but only one would raise their hand and say they've been saved. Debt, born again. And I say, what's the difference? Because I thought that to be a Christian meant that you were saved. That you were following Christ. But you can't follow someone that you don't know. That you don't love. And there are many people like this man here who have gotten in the queue because they thought they'd get something from Jesus, but they don't know him. And Jesus said, this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. And they're very happy to receive a blessing from the Savior, but they're never, they're not a servant of the Lord. They've received some token that they put away somewhere because they thought that at the right time, uh, at just the right time, they'd have, they could pull out from their back pocket, their little token and say, here's my get out of free from hell card. They never were a follower of Jesus, never were a servant of the nobleman, never were because they never served him. They served themselves. And that will be declared only on that day. I can't go in and out amongst the folks who attend here and find out which ones are truly followers of Jesus Christ, which ones are truly servants, and which ones are not. But the more you know him, the more it will be declared in the way you live. I feared thee because thou art an austere man thou takest up that thou layest not down and reapest that thou didst not sow and he saith unto him out of thine own mouth will I judge you thou knewest that I was an austere man meaning you thought I was a hard man taking up that I did not lay down and reaping that I did not sow if you really thought that I was like that, then why didn't you take my money and put it in the bank so that I could have, some, have a bit of interest when I came back? You, didn't, you, didn't, you don't know me. If you really thought that, then you would have done something different. The truth is, you don't know me at all and you're making excuses. There are a lot of people who make excuses as to why they do not serve the king. I hear people all the time who say, oh, uh, we, shouldn't, we shouldn't go out on evangelism. And, and, and not just anybody should go out, just a few people. And, and our responsibility is just to quietly do our own work. And, and hold on just a moment. Are you joking? Yes. Do what God's called you to do. If you're a mechanic, definitely. But you ought to shine as brightly as you possibly can as the brightest Christ honoring mechanic in the whole world. All along, you using that job as a mechanic to gain more for the kingdom of God. School teacher. Shine as brightly as you can as a school teacher. You don't have your job to make money. You have your job to gain souls for the kingdom. To gain glory for Christ. That's the only reason you are alive as a Christian. Did you know that? The only reason you are alive is to make a gain for the glory of God. That's it. No other reason. Not for you to make a nice comfortable house to live in. That does not bring glory to God. Advancing yourself. Out of thine own mouth will I judge thee. I'm afraid sometimes, aren't you? Afraid of being judged out of my own mouth, the things or out of my own mind and heart, the things i thought about God. Some people just don't know God. They have a wrong view of God. Some of these young people that we met in the Netherlands this week, they don't know God. They don't have a right view of God. And, and and I I understand that's not meant for many. Many of them, it's not their fault. For many of them, it's the parents' fault or the pastor's fault or the elders' fault, fault who have misrepresented God to them and told them that they can't come to God because God's an austere man a hard man out of thine own mouth will I judge thee verse 24 he he said unto them that stood by take from him the pound and give it to him that hath ten pounds they said Lord he's got ten for I say unto you that unto everyone which hath shall be given now that ought to encourage you as you labor in the work of the Lord there's more more grace, more peace, more joy, more souls. And from him that hath not, even that he hath shall be taken away from him. That ought to cause you to tremble. And all of these parables that we we get, and all of these things, Christ gives us encouragement, and he gives us warning. And the encouragement is to keep us going in the work of the Lord. And the warning as well is a slap. You could say a slap to say, hey, wake up. Make sure that's not you. And even this parable, even this little slap is a good thing. If it awakens you and stirs you to say, hold on a moment. I've, not been, I've been hiding my life in a napkin somewhere. And the Bible says in verse 27, But those my enemies, which would not that I should reign over them, bring hither and slay them before me. He refers in the last words about the rest of the world that refuses to have Christ be their king of kings and lord of lords. He refers to them and he says about them that on that day they shall be eternally eternally destroyed. He's sent to, sent to eternal damnation. That's why you and I ought to take every moment we can every opportunity we can to extend the grace of God the kingdom of God now in closing I wonder what's your excuse really I could ask it like this what's your napkin what are you hiding your life in what are you using as an excuse as to not serve the King of kings and Lord of lords? What, what is it that you are hiding your life away? Is it your work? Your work? Is that your napkin? Lord, I buried myself in my work. For some of you, you, you have a grand old time on the weekends. But yet you never have time for Christ. We have time for all that we want to do. We have time for football. We have time to go down to the pub with our mates. We have time for everything we want want to do. But we never have time for Jesus Christ. And going and sitting in a meeting is hardly giving time for the Savior. Come to the meetings, please. I want you to come. I wish every meeting would be filled. I wish every meeting of the week, including every prayer meeting, would be as full as a Sunday morning meeting. Wouldn't you? Don't you? But when we stand before him one day, the Lord Jesus is not going to say, okay, let me see your church attendance record. Oh, I see you were there very faithful on Sunday mornings and Sunday nights. You weren't so good on a Wednesday night, but he's not going to do that. He's going to say, how did you take your life and what did you do with your life to advance my kingdom? We, We are going to answer for our lives. Every one of us. Now, I'm not saying this to frighten you. The purest motive for Christian service is not fear. The purest motive is love. Because you love him knowing that he loves you. That's the purest motive to serve him. And you'll do that when you know him. Like this man who got 10 and the man who got 5. But the man who only had one, he, rather than love the Lord, he feared him. I don't know about you, but sometimes I lie awake in bed at night and think about the opportunities that I've missed. Sometimes I lie alone in my bed and I think about what I should have done and what I could have done and and how I missed that opportunity and, and how I was too selfish on that weekend or on that week. And I think over and over what could have been and how I, if I would have only invested that time, if I would have only prayed more there, what more could we have gotten for Christ? at the end of a week like we've just had I, I can't help but reflect on the week and think if we had only prayed more maybe we'd have more souls and I think about what could have been but I want to remind you tonight that we can do that we can think about what we should have done and could have done and that sometimes doesn't change anything but what we can do what we can do is this day forward When you wake up in the morning and you recognize that you're still alive and Jesus hasn't come back, you can take out of your pocket and out of your napkin and look at what he's given you, look at the salvation he's given you and say, by your grace and by your power, I intend today to get gain for your kingdom. I intend today to take this life, this little bit that you've given me, as little as it is and insignificant as it is, I intend by your help to make some sort of gain in your kingdom. Would you do that? We're running out of time. You will never get back last week. You're never going to get back last year. It's gone. And I do not know how much longer we have. It doesn't really matter, what does matter is however much time we have left we invest in eternity Or you can that day will come quicker than we could ever imagine I can just about imagine what I'll think when I hear that trumpet oh Lord not yet, give me more time believe me I want to see him I want to see him and I want to live with him but I also know there are more souls to be saved I looked into the eyes of souls this week in the Netherlands that weren't saved yet maybe even here tonight that are not saved yet and I think Lord a little more time for their souls have you got someone like that living in your house living on your street let us do what we can while we can For that day will come sooner than we can imagine. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we acknowledge that our time on this earth is short. We have seen how we've wasted time. And I pray, Lord, we might be more than just stirred up and challenged tonight. But change us. Change us, change the way we think, Lord. Change the way we look at things and help us to see the little that we've been given and also see what it could be. That it could be multiplied for thy kingdom. It could be multiplied for thy glory. Help us to sense the urgency. Help us to recognize the preciousness of the seed of the pound of the talent that lies in our hands and instead of burying it instead of hiding it in a napkin Lord may we invest it may we invest our life into the lives of others and do all that we can may we like the apostle Paul become all things to all men that we might by all means save some change us as a church may we no longer be content just to come into meetings and listen. But instead, may we be challenged to do something with our lives. May we stop making excuses. Help us to know thee, Lord. To know thee as the God of love, the God of compassion, the God of mercy, the God of patience. Help us to know thee as the God with an outstretched arm, not willing that any should perish. A God that is long-suffering, Help us to know Thee as we find Thee in Thy Word, and may we find Thee in our hearts the same way. Change our perspective, we pray. May we never be guilty of misrepresenting Thee as an austere, hard God, but instead may we show Thee as the loving, patient, and merciful God as Thou art. May we warn people gently of a coming judgment, but also may we push and urge them to come to this great King of kings and Lord of lords. We pray for the ones, the citizens of this land who declare again and again that they will not have this man to reign over them. Have mercy, Lord. Save some of them. Save them, Lord. Use us to reach them. Use us. Lord, we know it isn't money that Christ is looking for. It isn't houses that he's looking for is isn't property, clothing, but it's souls that would bring glory and honor to thee. May we also be busy about the same matter. And we ask it in Christ Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.